Welcome, welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the greatest wrestling podcast in sports infotainment. I am the intellectual savior of the wrestling masses, Brian. I am joined this week by the big man, Isaac. And we are here to give you another installment of our newly formed Legendary Knights series with a little bit of unpacking of some current events before that. Thank you, as always, for joining us however you do, whether it's on YouTube or on one of our ever-growing family of podcast platforms. You know, we've got Spotify, we've got Anchor, we've got Amazon now. You know, thank you, Amazon, for uh, getting us on board. And then you've got Google, you've got Apple, and the ever-popular Intergalactic Radio. So thank you to all of our podcast platforms. Um, Interaction is the key, boys and girls. Leave us a five-star review. Subscribe so you get notifications for new episodes as they drop. Isaac, it's been an interesting week in wrestling. We'll talk briefly about it before we get into our Legendary Nights Part 2. Big event happened in AEW this week. It was Grand Slam in New York City at Arthur Ashe Stadium. If you were going to pick one event from that night, that is appointment television worthy for those that might have missed it. What event, what what part of that night would you say qualifies as a must-view television? The one thing that kind of shocked me, um, and we talked about this in the pre-show meeting a little bit, was the arrival of Soraya. If you don't know who Soraya is, she is a former WWE star. Um, she was known as Paige. Um, they did do the movie Fight With My Family about her and her family. Um, and the fact that she was able to be cleared and that she is back in the ring is huge, gigantic, and just the aspect of, you know, we think about Edge coming back from the next surgery. We think about Austin coming back from the next surgery. We think about Lavin coming back, and we hope that she'd be one of them because she was such a young talent, an amazing talent that to come back. There are other major events going on at... A question just popped into my head, and I'm springing this on you. Go ahead. I feel like this is probably about the fifth or sixth time that we're talking about AEW injecting their women's division, their women's roster, with a talent. And we're saying, wow, this is just what the women's roster needs. My question to you is, do you think AEW is kind of running out of chances to make the women's division relevant? And I'm just going to leave it at that. I'm not going to color it with any kind of, an, of, of my opinion yet. I think you could, I think um, iron sharpens iron. I believe that you keep adding in really super talented women. And they are going to make the division better. I believe that the addition of Athena or... Um, the Fallen Goddess, as we know her, um, she was formerly WWE star. Um, of course, with Soraya coming in, 
um, and working with these young ladies. You know, you have established stars like Dr. Britt Baker, who never got the shine that she got. She could have gotten if she was in WWE, but hasn't found her niche here. Um, and you have, you know, Soraya that can take Jay Cargill and the baddies under their wing and show her really what to, how to actually be a wrestler. They're so green, and we know that, you know, you have all these people that are putting you over like there's no tomorrow and making you look fantastic. With that being said, you need someone that can lead and show them how to get to that next level. I feel like the problem goes deeper than that. And it's a problem that we've denigrated WWE for in the past. Iron does sharpen iron, but you've got to watch the iron being sharpened. I don't think the women are getting enough TV time on the major platform shows. We know that Rampage doesn't get watched as much as Dynamite does. And we know that Dark and Elevation get watched even less. And if that's where the women are wrestling, you're not getting eyeballs on the product. And therefore, the casual fan who only tunes in for Dynamite and maybe an episode of Rampage every once in a while is not seeing. Because we can run off the litany of names that they have in their employee until the cows come home. Serena Deeb, Tony Storm, Jamie Hayter, you know, Hikaru Shida, Britt Baker, Thunder Rosa, who apparently, you know, she's taking some time away from injury, but apparently there's some heat going on with her too, unfortunately. But you have all of these people, you need to feature them. You know, you bring in Athena, you bring in Tony Storm, you bring in Soraya, and 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 it seems like they're stuck in neutral, you know. I agree with you. I also agree. I also think they need to have a little bit more TV time. And I know that Tony Khan was saying he's going to get some more. And this is the time. And when you get that other TV time, you highlight these women. and not. I almost get- wonder if you shouldn't have just a show where it's women wrestling. If, if, if. And I and I don't want to sound like, you know, we have to give, you know, make it a featured hour. You know, if it's two hours, then fine. If if, if TNT can give you two hours somewhere else, like on a, on a Thursday night or on a Saturday night or something like that, that's an idea worth exploring. And it's not Brian being sexist where the men and the women wrestle on separate shows. It comes from a standpoint of AEW apparently has not figured out how they can coexist in the same two hours every Wednesday night, you know, to give to give like the the hangman Adam Page and CM Punk storyline the same amount of airtime as you would Britt Baker and Thunder Rosa or Serena Deeb and Athena or um, Chris Statlander and. Uh, Anna J, just to just to pull some more names out of thin air. Um, that I think is the hang up with that. Um, so we will watch that as it unfolds. I know I have not watched. I'll full disclosure, I have not watched Grand Slam yet. Just you know, the work week being what it was, I plan to tune it up this weekend. But I was unable to avoid spoilers, so I do know that scissoring is an order, Daddy. 
because the acclaimed are your new AEW tag team champions, and it's richly deserved because the acclaimed are immensely talented. They get people talking about them, and they can go in the ring, and this is probably four or five months overdue, but Isaac tells me that I need to watch solely for the reaction of the New York crowd, both for the entrances and for the moment when they got the three count and got the job done. So one more thing, as we all know, the acclaim come in and they, you know, they do their rap and listen, listen, let me tell you, they they were spitting and I was like, oh my God, they, (laughs) they, they, they they crushed it. Let's leave it at that. And of course, when they start yelling, New York City! Oh my god. <laughs> um, but they were they were it's funny. I'll just leave it at that. You gotta watch it, that's all I can say. Nicely done. So bringing out the next installment of our Legendary Knights series, and big props to the Reverend of the Rant for coming up with this idea and maybe making it more of a featured segment on our show. Again, for the uninitiated, the Legendary Knights series um, is our attempt to showcase some sneaky important matches, if you will, that don't get as much run as some of the other legendary matches from all these different promotions do. And talk about their importance, both for the people involved, for the time period that it happened, and what it meant for the wrestling industry going forward. Uh, A couple of weeks ago, we talked about NXT television match between Sami Zayn and Cesaro, a two out of three falls match. A match that, at the time, I didn't understand how important it was, but everybody helped me understand through the discussion on that show what it meant for NXT as a destination for wrestling content. It was my turn to come up with a match this week. And the reason why I picked this match is probably going to surprise some people. I'm taking you back to the year 2000. And the venue, oddly enough, is in New York City. It's Madison Square Garden at that year's Royal Rumble. And during that event, Cactus Jack and Triple H had a street fight. That was one of the main events of the evening. Um, and there's lots of reasons why I put this match forward as a legendary uh, match to talk about, which I will happily uh, unpack here in a moment. But Isaac, I want to start off by asking you, on a scale of 1 to 10, with 10 being the highest, how would you rate this match? in terms of its rewatchability, meaning you're, you're bored, you're looking for something to watch on the network. Is there anything preventing you from pulling this match up and giving it a rewatch, even if you've already seen it a couple hundred times like this guy has? I'm going to give that, I'm going to give that like a eight slash nine. It's going to be high. I rewatched it today, and in the back of my mind, and this this was weird, I kept thinking about Mick Foley and how much he puts over 
so many other people and making him look fantastic and that he's either bleeding or he's doing something crazy and making somebody else look utterly fantastic. This match, if you go queue it up, and I hope that you do, Triple H takes a beating. He gets beat up. He's bloody all over the place. He got gashes in his leg. He got gashes in his face. You know, you know, two uh, um, pedigrees. Mm-hmm. One, one alone, another, and a bunch of thumbtacks for Mick Foley. Them going every which way but loose. I forgot how much he bled in this movie, honestly. I'm sorry, moving up. But match. Um, but like I said, I totally, utterly forgot about it. And I went back and watched and like, oh my God. You know, normally it's it's Mick Foley putting somebody over, but Hunter was actually doing a lot of, lot of his own work. And I gotta give it give him credit. Cause most of the time it's not that he doesn't do it, but I haven't seen anything like that in a long time. I've got a theory about why that was going on, too. Um, I picked this match for several reasons. First one being, this was right around the time when I started getting back into watching pro wrestling. Um, You know, late 90s, early 2000s, because I had been away for a long time just because of access not being there and whatnot. And... This was one of those matches where it was the first match. It's actually the first match I can think of where the buildup was just as important as the actual match itself. Because let's think about the landscape, first of all, of WWE at this point. They've been riding the wave of Stone Cold for about two and a half years by this point. Stone Cold's health is also deteriorating at this point. And the office realizes we need to create some new stars here. We need to elevate some of these people from the mid-card, you know, which people like Triple H and Rock and, and, and that were in the mid-card by, you know, early on. And they looked around and they saw, well, who can work with Triple H? And, you know, be a sympathetic figure, you know, and help Triple H become the heat magnet that he eventually would become. And Mick Foley, in my recollection, almost volunteered for it. He's like, well, I'll do it. You know, I can give you because he was thinking about hanging it up at this point. He was ready to retire. I think the story goes he was ready to retire at Survivor Series. But then that's when they did the angle where Austin gets run, you know, run down by Rikishi. It turns out to be later on. Um, and so now Austin's out. You need somebody else to put in that position. Big show, they put the title on him, but he clearly wasn't ready for it. Mick said, I'll if if you're grooming Hunter, I will help you groom him. You know. And I remember all the the buildup for this match. You know, the funny little vignettes where uh, Triple H would disparage his character and that sort of thing. And one of my favorite interactions ever in wrestling occurred on a SmackDown. Triple H is in the ring with Stephanie. 
doing the you know his usual Triple H thing, and Foley comes out and he's dressed as Mankind, and he's got the mask on, and he's got the same bloodstained dress shirt from the week before, where you know Triple H busted him open, and he's got the blood all over it, and he comes out in that weaselly little Mankind voice, and he says Triple H, you know. You said a lot of things about me, and, you know, a lot of them might be true. And one thing that mankind is not is willing to face you in a street fight at the Royal Rumble. And I think you know where I'm going with this. But I, but the WWF fans deserve a suitable replacement for that match. And he starts ripping off the shirt, ripping off the mankind mask. And I think you know the guy... And one of my my favorite Triple H interviews that he ever gave, and I forget which DVD it's on. It might be on multiple ones. But he said, I had to, you know, those casual fans that did not know that this guy had multiple personalities. If I didn't react to it the correct way, it would just be a guy ripping off a shirt. All I would have to do would be laugh at him and we'd be dead in the water. But he had to sell in the ring, oh, no, now I've got to deal with Cactus Jack. You know? And that's where it elevated this 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 feud from just okay, it's Triple H and I'm the bully and I'm the the heel to I've got somebody across the ring from me now who's going to give just as much as I do, you know. And I'm in for it. I might wind up winning, which he did, but I'm going to have to go through hell to do it. That's what, one of the things you know that that insider stuff that I think makes this match legendary is because we talk about the story so much on this show. We talk about you want to invest and you want us to care and you want us to feel. We felt how desperate Mick Foley was to have to morph from from uh, mankind, lovable, you know, loser mankind into ass kicker Cactus Jack. Because Cactus Jack's exploits are legendary and we could you know, do a whole other show about just that. He is in our extreme Hall of Fame after all. Um, does that don't make I don't care what iteration you you come up with. But also, you know, I go back to that look at the landscape. You know, Mick Foley recognized an opportunity and he recognized the necessity of they need me to fulfill a role for however many months this is and get Triple H, you know, through uh no way out to, to WrestleMania. I can do that for you. You know. And then I look at the match itself. And again, just getting back into wrestling at this point, I don't do a lot of hardcore stuff. I don't do a lot of blood and gut stuff. That's not the, the wrestling I seek out usually. The, the, the amount of brutality in this match, you know, you alluded to some of it before. Like five minutes into the match, he gets backdropped or suplexed onto a wooden pallet and he gets a bunch of the, a chunk of the pallet in his leg, Triple H does. So he starts bleeding from his leg pretty significantly. You know, they were worried about a staph infection. Or they were worried about something like that backstage. So that was one of the things they were looking at. Um, and the the escalation, you know, to go from just, you know, beating each other up with fists to involving the weapons and then Foley gets handcuffed for part of the match until my dude comes out and makes the save. You know, um, which I wasn't expecting. Um, 
And I forget, how did he get, because Foley got out of the handcuffs somehow. Did The Rock have a key, or did somebody come out with bolt cutters? Uh, um, like I said, I did see this earlier again today. So there was a police officer that un- uncuffed Mankind. That's right. Cactus Jack, and got him out of the handcuffs. I couldn't, I couldn't remember, like, who actually did the uncuffing. And then that's when it escalated even further. Um. I want to get your take on the amount of brutality in the match. Did you think it was appropriate? Did you think it served the story, or did you think it might have been a little too much? I think it was just the right amount. Okay. Um, I think that it was the amount that needed to happen to put, make Triple H look as good as he was and to make him get to that next level um because that's the only way this could happen um it's that's just what has to be unfortunately you know there had to be when you think cactus jack you think of a lot of stuff you think like they said in the vignettes you think of barbed wire you think of blood. You think of, you know, death matches. You think of a lot of stuff. And you think of that. You really do think of that. You're like... Because you I remember thinking at the time, like, you know, first blush, it made me uncomfortable. And you could see why it would make someone like me uncomfortable being in the situation that I was in. You know. But watching it back, you know, all these years later... I realized it was in service of the story. It wasn't just a steel chair for the sake of a steel chair. It wasn't just, you know, because for me, that was the first. This is before the bag of thumbtacks became kind of like, okay, yeah, okay, he's going to go for the thumbtacks here sooner or later. Because you get jaded. You get, you know, inured to the fact that, yeah, Foley's going to wrestle. He's going to have thumbtacks. Because the next next time for me that the thumbtacks really mattered was when he had the match with Orton in uh, 2005. Where he backdrop Orton onto them, and there's that shot of him just like arching his back up and all that. Um, but again, I go back to that storyline because you have that escalation and escalation, and you have Stephanie coming out. And this was an important part of the match too, because Stephanie's still in her infancy as a storyteller at this point. She's not really because she don't forget she's just coming off the Armageddon match, where she turned on on Vince. At this point. And you know, oh, I hate you, Triple H, and all this kind of stuff. And then you, she jumps the barricade and comes into the ring and, you know, winds up, you know, hugging and kissing Triple H. And Triple H beats Vince, you know, in, in the main event of Armageddon. So for her to go from that to come out, you know, barely a month later, basically, you know, as, you know, the McMahon Helmsley faction, you know, and she's pleading, you know, you know, leave her, you know, leave her, you know, leave him alone. You've done enough, that kind of stuff. And that was important too, because it showed a little bit of a human side of her and not just the heel character she was trying to learn how to play too. Um, another question for you Do you like this match more? Then you like the Hell in a Cell match at No Way Out, or do you like the Hell in a Cell match more than the Street Fight? 
I like this match a little bit more. Okay. I feel the same way. I like it just a little bit. Just because I haven't seen this in so long. And this was... This was something to go back on. This was I not. feel like the street fight escalates and stays up here for a very, very long time. Whereas the, the, the Hell in a Cell, the ending is nuts. Where he gets backdropped through the top of the thing and then the ring collapses underneath him. That That's what made me pop about that match. The rest of the match is kind of like, okay, you know. But from start to finish, I take the street fight over, over the Hell in a Cell any day of the week. Um, but you look at what Foley was able to do for Triple H and you look at conversely what Triple H was able to do for Foley in these in this series of matches and especially this street fight as I recall people were talking more about the street fight than the fact that The Rock won his only Royal Rumble at this event and I think a lot of that has to do with the way the Rumble finished. It was kind of like a schmoz booking where were Rock's feet on the floor when the Big Show went over? Were they not? You know, I could, I, I can kind of, you know, I kind of understand why people say, oh, no, come on, dude, his feet were on the floor. So really, Big Show should have won the Royal Rumble. I get that. And I'm not, I'm not here to debate that. Um, but that's saying something when at a Rumble, another match can seal the show. That's hard to do because usually all the big surprises and debuts and returns and oh my gods are saved for the Rumble match itself. This to me was the must see match of that whole event. Um, and that's the biggest reason why I put that forth as a legendary night because you spin it forward now. You now have established Triple H as this monster heel. You know, who's coming for the championship and actually at this point already has the championship. I could have done without the fatal four-way with a McMahon in every corner at WrestleMania two, uh, 2000. I could have done without that. Um, a triple threat would have been okay. But to bring back Mick Foley for that when he was, because he even acknowledged he had let himself go at that point. Because this, the, the, um, the Hell in a Cell match was career versus title. You know, fine, you get one more shot, but I want your career on the line, you know. So he, you know, to hear him say it, he had, you know, gone home, he had cut his hair, you know, he let his weight get away from him a little bit, and then he come, he's got to come back out, and then he, you know, does that dive off the top off the top rope to the announce table and barely makes it, you know. And so that, that whole thing was unfortunate, but that whole WrestleMania was a bit of a train wreck, as I recall. Oh, yes, it was. Yeah, the one in 2000. So, but I feel like that series of matches changed tri- the perception of Triple H from a technician to somebody who could be a technical wrestler but could also brawl and could also be that heel that could tell a good story, make you hate him, make you want to see him get beat. Because I wanted to see him get beat all the time by that point. You know, I think we all did. I think because he was the one, and he was like, you know, taking my heroes out, you know, whoever they were. I, I, I think that we all were, we were all like, you know, we want, we want to beat it, we want him to get his ass beat, and that's what you want for a heel. Um, but 
you know, he was still winning and still going, and you're like, come on, man. Seriously. Um, I get it. I totally do. And, you know, he played the role perfectly at that time. So I got no beef about that. You know, now, I, think. I did not look up any kind of ratings or anything like that, so I don't know what Meltzer did for it. I would have to imagine... If I was going to predict what Meltzer would have given it, I would have said this is probably three and three quarters because we know how he feels about WWE matches, especially gimmick ones like a street fight. Um, I could be wrong, and that's probably what I'm going to do after we're done recording tonight is I'm going to go look it up because I'm actually curious myself what he thought about it. Um, But if I were grading it, on a star system, I would go four and a quarter easily. With a street fight, it's hard to get a five star, I feel like, because if blood is not your thing, if no DQ is not your thing, if you just want straight, pure wrestling, catch as catch can, it's not going to be your cup of tea. Um, But I don't feel like the timing was, was that... Off. I mean, I, I, I felt like you know everything flowed the way they wanted it to flow. You know, there wasn't anything herky-jerky about it, you know. And, yeah, it was overbooked a little bit, but you understand why. You know, Rock had to come out so that you didn't have another situation like the previous year's Royal Rumble, where there was just chair shot after chair shot after chair shot while Foley's handcuffed. You understand why Stephanie came out. Because now she's, you know, playing the cowardly heel. Like, Please stop it. You know, that kind of thing. Um, and then you got Sergeant Slaughter with, with, the, with the mustache coming out. Because, you know, coming out with Stephanie to try and keep her, like, keep her safe and all that. Um, so i would argue that for all of those reasons that it, it's a legendary night because it was prove it time for two people that needed to prove it for wwf at the time um and it's the it I, it was my first example of seeing how wwe handled a transitionary period because i you know we've talked before about how they did not handle the transition from a hogan to the next thing very well they kept going back to the hogan well so many times until he left to go to wcw and then it took them probably three or four years before they stumbled upon brett and sean you know and to a lesser extent razor ramon and diesel and people like that to try and you know get him through that time period they were quicker to react to the fact that, yeah, we've had Austin for a couple of years now, but we don't know how much longer we're going to have him for it at, at full health. So let's elevate The Undertaker. Let's elevate Triple H. Let's elevate Mick Foley. Let's elevate The Rock, you know, and so on and so forth. Kurt Angle later on, you know, people of that nature. Um, is there anything else you think that merits discussion? Was there a particular part of this match that you popped for? You know, other than the spots we've already talked about, because I, 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 I may very well be, you know, leaving something out. No, I think we touched base on everything that um, really popped from that match. 
hot crowd helps too. You know, you got that New York crowd. I mean, they were they were really invested in this match, especially when the brutality kept getting dialed up. And Foley, because it it not the not to dismiss him in any way, shape, or form, but that was his crowd. That's his hometown. That's yeah. his yard. You know, of course they're gonna pop for him. For the fact being that it is him, it's in his backyard. <coughs> you know, that's the reaction you're supposed to get, hopefully. And even if you're a heel and you're in your backyard and they say, you know, whatever, you know, the Miz, who's a heel, he comes to Cleveland, he gets a pop. He gets a real good pop just because he's from Cleveland. You know, the same thing that happened to Triple H and when he was a heel and he went to Greenwich, yeah. you know, Connecticut, and he got a huge pop one time. It's like, obviously. Yeah, even though the Miz says, I live in L.A. now, doesn't matter. You, you, you're still from Cleveland. Or when MJF goes to, you know, Queens. I mean, he's not from Queens. He's from Long Island. Sorry. Right. <laughs> I need to get my facts straight. Right. So, so, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for coming along on this great journey. Let us know what you think about this match. Maybe you should queue it up again if you haven't seen it in a while or if you have never seen it and would like to watch something new and interesting and exciting. This might be a good match for you to check out. Once again, it is on the 2000 edition of the Royal Rumble. It is the, I guess you would call it the semi-main event because the event ends with the actual Royal Rumble, which we mentioned the Rock one. Um, in somewhat controversial fashion, but it's still a dub for The Rock, so we'll let it go. Um, we will be bringing back more matches uh, next uh, time. I don't know if it's going to be next week or not, but Big Mang, I do believe you are on the hot seat for picking the next Legendary Knights match, and you do not need to do that as we speak, uh, because Patrick got one, I got one, and I'm sure you will do your due diligence and come up with a banger for us to watch that you think qualifies for this Legendary Knights series. Got again, you don't need one right now. You, you've got... In the works, so we, we good. We're ready. Okay. Just, just know it, it's coming. That's all it's I can coming. say. Well, thank you very much for joining us again and making us part of your Wrestling Infotainment Week. For everyone associated with the show, for Patrick, who is not here tonight because he is here apparently... He is at home, uh, according to our text messages, that we're getting marking out about something. So we'll have to do some uh, research on that, and we'll let you know what he's marking out about. Um, probably the newest David Copperfield magic special is my guess, which I would mark out for that, too, because I love a good magic show. Um, I think that's it. I think that must be it. He's, he's uh, teleporting from the Amazon or something like that. Uh, so for everyone associated with the show, for Isaac, the big man, thank you, sir. Um, we will see you again next time on Wrestling with Egos. Please make sure to like the show on whatever podcast platform you're consuming it on. Give us that five-star review. If you're watching us on YouTube, make sure you're subscribing and enabling notifications. So whenever a new episode drops, you can get that notification. Um, and until next time, I am Brian, the intellectual savior of the wrestling masses and legendary nights like this are why we love pro wrestling.